Hey, welcome to Be With The Word. This is our po weekly podcast where Dr. Peter Malinowski and I reflect on the upcoming Sunday readings. And this Sunday, we are reflecting on the ascension of Jesus. And we're going to be looking at these readings uh, with a psychological perspective. So, Dr. Peter, it's so good to see you. It is so good to see you too, Dr. Jerry. A pleasure and honor to be with you as always. And it's excellent to be with all of our listeners, all of our viewers. It's so good to be here with you. It's very exciting. Yeah. I yeah, am like you're... super excited. I am super excited too, Jerry, because we just got word that we are going to be opening up our parishes in my diocese by the end of the month. So that is a huge development. There's gonna be staged openings here in the Archdiocese of Indianapolis, and I am ecstatic about that. So um, uh, that's really, really well, good. Well, that's wonderful. I've been enjoying uh, the liturgy at my Byzantine parish, and we're doing outdoor liturgies, and they've yes. been phenomenally beautiful weather, because otherwise it could be a bit of a disaster. Uh, we're all people sitting out in their lawn chairs, spread out, and the priest has been disinfecting the spoon. We received the Eucharist uh, on a spoon, but I mean, it doesn't touch your mouth normally. Right. But because there's a possibility of it touching your mouth, they disinfect the spoon after every use, which slows down the liturgy. It was two hours this past Sunday, but we wow. were just so yeah, wow. grateful to be having it. So Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, mm -hmm. well, we are, um, we're talking about some really interesting readings this time. And uh, I don't know, yeah. should we just kind of dive right into the, to the first reading or we got things we got to talk about do. first? And, and just to let our, our listeners know, if you have not read the readings, you are welcome yes. to just go and read them, of course. Uh, or you can go to Hear the Word, which is our podcast where we just read it to you. That's all we do. We don't get into it at all. It's just Peter and I reading the readings. So go to hear the word if you want to hear them. We'll try to give context, but uh, it might help you. I knew I was forgetting something there, Dr. Jerry. I knew I was forgetting something. So thanks for covering that. I appreciate it. So... Yeah. So, but you've got some exciting perspective, though, that I'm yeah. really interested to hear. About. So I don't know if you, I don't know if all of you out there notice, but like kind of every other week, we we like swap off the lead on this, and so this is my week to really kind of provide some provide some insights and some context. And I was uh, really looking at the um, the first reading. So this is the beginning of Acts, right? So that's the first mm -hmm. thing. This is chapter one of Acts, verses one to eleven. And it is the story of the ascension, right? So what happens here is that we learn that Jesus speaks with his apostles for 40 days. And it says, you know, he presented himself alive to them by many proofs after he had suffered, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God, right? So 40 days with the apostles speaking to them about the kingdom of God. And then um, they ask him about, uh, well, when are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel, right? So they're still missing the point. They're still missing the point. They still don't right. really get it. And, but one thing critically to remember here is that Pentecost has not yet come, right? So there's this period of time, right? Mm -hmm. Right before the ascension, the Pentecost is less than two weeks away. Um, that's being reflected in the liturgical year. That's what we're celebrating now you know, where they're still really not getting it. Um, and then um, he talks about his power, right? He's going to return the same way that he, late, that he left, 
right? That's what the two men say, the two men clad in white. And then I really noticed in the uh, second reading, right, from Ephesians, that um, that Paul is promising that uh, the he's, he's asking us to pray. He's asking the God to give the Christians a spirit of wisdom and revelation resulting in knowledge of him. And here's what he says. This is what really caught my eye again. May the eyes of your heart be enlightened that you may know what is the hope that belongs to his call, right? So he's asking for the eyes of the heart to be enlightened. And so everybody knows if you listen to us for a while, then whenever we have heart or soul in one of the readings, right? We're souls and hearts, right? We, 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 We get really interested in that. He wants the eyes of our hearts to be opened, right? Yeah. And, and in the biblical language, you know, that the heart is the seat of the whole person, right? Body, mind, uh, emotions, thoughts. I mean, the, all of it's right there in the heart, right? So he wants all of us to be open, all of the eyes of all of us to be open, right? And that's going to become really important because in just a, in just a little bit, we're going to rewind. We're going to go take the gospel back right to the very end of the gospel according to St. Matthew. That's the gospel reading for the Ascension. And we're going to get into what actually happened right at the very end before Jesus was ascended, before he ascended, right? That's sort of the end of the story. And that's where we're going to get into the topic today. The topic today is the psychology of doubt. Because one of those things you see in all four Gospels is how challenging it was, how difficult it was, how, how, how much the apostles struggled to believe in the truth of the resurrection, even though they had Christ embodied right before them, right? So mm-hmm. we're going to get into what are the psychological factors that contribute to the struggles we have with faith, to the struggle yeah. we have so that, with doubt. Yeah, so that's awesome. So we're going to be looking at the different elements, different kinds of doubt, and why doubt is actually important. It's an important piece. We don't stay in doubt, but it's an important component right. psychologically. We have to, we have to focus on that. We have to focus on that doubt. Now, that doesn't mean we embrace it. It doesn't mean we nurture it. It doesn't mean we, you know, we embrace it. But it means that we address it. And then we're going to, so we're going to get into right. that in depth because a lot of times people just think of doubt as sort of one dimensional thing and it's not. Okay. So that's what so we're going to be looking at. Doubt. Before we tell you about the psychology of doubt, we just want to quickly plug some amazingly awesome things going on at Souls and Hearts, right? Dr. Peter, you've got this resilient Catholic community forming. Do you want to say yes. something about that? Yes, yes. So some of you may know that we have this podcast called the Coronavirus Crisis Carpe Diem. That's the podcast. But there's a community forming around it now where people are joining the community. We're discussing the podcast. We've got webinars coming up. We're scheduling those now so that we can get into these topics in a much deeper way. So I'm very excited about that. We're moving to this community model where we can be together. We can share. We've got discussion boards up. We're going to have different kinds of activities that we're going to be doing together. So check that out at soulsandhearts.com. And we have right. another exciting thing. Actually, two more exciting things, Dr. Jerry. We have, 
two kind of really cool courses. We that if, if one of these fits you or both of them, take advantage of it. One of them is with Dr. Mark Glafke, and we're looking at discernment of vocation or what are the things that get in the way of being able to move forward in your vocation, whether that's a vocation to a Catholic ministry of some kind or a seminary or marriage. And so Dr. Mark Glafke and I discuss that and uh, deal with issues such as depression, anxiety, substance use, porn use, all these things that get in the way. So if you're interested in you know, moving forward with your vocation, take that course. The other course is on uh, restoring your marriage after the discovery of pornography. So yeah. if this is an issue in your life, uh, take advantage of this course. You get tons of help in terms of tackling the addiction of pornography or sex addiction, but you also get tons of help for marriage. And it doesn't. Uh, this is one course that does not leave the uh, other partner out. So if you're um, the partner of somebody with a sexual addiction, this course will also give you resources. All right. I've seen, I've seen some really positive comments come down the pike on that one. Like some people really appreciating that and finding it's helping their marriage in a lot of ways. So take advantage of that. So yes. doubt, we're yes. really getting into doubt. I want to read the money quote uh, from the gospel on this one, um, because here we are, right? It's at the very end. This is the last part of Matthew's gospel, the last verses. And it says here at the beginning of the gospel passage, the 11 disciples went to Galilee. Now, that's really significant, right? Because that's where it all started. It all started in Galilee. That's where they met Jesus, right? And now at the very end, they're back in Galilee. No longer in Jerusalem. They've gone back to Galilee. And they went to the mountain which Jesus, to which Jesus had ordered them. And when they saw him, they worshipped, but they doubted. They worshipped, but they doubted. And if you go back to the, to the Latin on this, um, it says, quidem autem debuta de verunt, which can be translated as some doubted, or it can be translated as they doubted. It's a little unclear. Uh, so it may be that they were kind of representing a spectrum of, of doubt and belief. Um, mm. But we do know from all four Gospels that there were real struggles with coming to grips with the fact of the resurrection, that there was an inconstancy there before Pentecost, right? That's that's kind of critical. If you go to Mark 16, you actually find Jesus uh, abrading the apostles for their unbelief and for their what he said the hardness of heart, right? Hardness right. of heart. So so what happens is let's go back again, right? What Saint Paul is asking for, what he's begging for, what he's praying for 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 the Ephesians is that they have the eyes of their art of the heart opened. Right. So you can see that 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 mm -hmm. parallel there, that this is something that is not just an intellectual endeavor. And that's one of the points that's really important is that this question of doubt is not just an intellectual thing. It's also an emotional thing. It's an attitudinal thing. It's it actually is much broader than just the mind. We're not they're not really talking about the mind here when it, when Jesus is not talking about the mind when he upbraids the apostles for their for their disbelief. He's talking about their hearts, the hardness of hearts. So we really want to remember that because a lot of times we tend to, to deal with questions of the faith as though it were merely or primarily an intellectual endeavor, right? right. When you've got folks in the office, I don't know, I know if this is true for you, uh, Dr. Jerry, but when I get folks in my office that are really struggling with faith, a lot of times there's a lot of obsessive rumination about it all about like the realm of ideas and what is true and what is not true and so on and so forth. 
And oftentimes what's happening is that the emotional aspects are getting neglected. Right. The emotional well, stuff is being suppressed. I'm curious a little bit though, when, when you, when, especially that line about um, the heart and enlightening the eyes of the heart, because mm-hmm. that doesn't feel like, Oh, I now intellectually understand something. No, that sounds like, Something deep at my core has just been opened up where I go, whoa, now I see something right. I didn't see. Now I feel something I didn't feel. Right. And, it, and it's, a, it's like a transformation or an inner change. Yeah, and, it's that metanoia. It's, that, it's the infusion of faith by grace throughout the whole of the person. That's really what we're looking for. Because right. if you... If the ba- you're, go ahead. I'm sorry. Because the yeah. baptism of of John's was primarily about repentance, which is essential. Right. right. But then it's like, we're taking it up a notch here. It's not just you've repented. It's that you are now open to the Holy spirit to actually strengthen you and transform you. And that, that cuts across not just the spiritual realm, but it also cuts across the psychological realm, right? Because grace builds on nature. We need to have that strengthening on the human level, on the natural level, in addition to that strengthening on the on the spiritual level, obviously. So, so when you see these passages about doubt, um, there's a volitional component to it. There's a component of the will, right? So the heart is considered to be the seat of the will, right? So sometimes people are really concerned when they have a certain kind of doubt, which I'm going to call uh, intrusive doubts, all right? These are... The technical term would be egodystonic. What that means in actually plain English is that it's not who we really are. We have these, 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 uh, these uh, maybe blasphemous thoughts that come up, right? Or maybe these, you know, challenges of faith. These ideas like God is not good, right? But that's not what we really hold to in our core of cores. But it comes up somehow. Actually, Saint Teresa of Lisieux, the little flower it's pretty likely she suffered from those kinds of thoughts about God. She makes an allusion to them near the end of her life in story of a soul where she was struggling with these kinds of, these kinds of thoughts. Um, So some people can get really wrapped up in them, you know, and say, is that what I really think? Where is this coming from? Right. Is, and, and they begin, they can begin to succumb to temptations and doubts around, you know, where these things are coming from, you know? So, um, so why are so, these doubts, why do they come about and why, how are they actually helpful or are they? I, well, I think it's helpful that this stuff comes to the surface. Um, I, I really believe that as a function of the fall in the Garden of Eden, that we have a lot of psychological disorder. And I do believe that there are um, sectors or parts of us that really haven't been evangelized, right? Like you could say parts of us that you know, really don't know, um, that really don't know God, that really don't, that really don't have an experienced grace for one reason or another. They've been sort of split off or dissociated off. That's not necessarily the core of us. All right. Uh, it could be, you know, but because of trauma, because of other kinds of dissociations, certain sectors just haven't been infused fully with that grace. They're not really in union with Christ. So, um, so they, they can have kind of negative responses. We can have these different kinds of responses within us. You know, there are times when I think most people experience anger at God in some, in some form or other. And that's not ordered. 
right? Because anger is the, you know, ordered emotional response to injustice and God's never unjust to us. But we have, have parts of us that perceive it that way, right? So that can lead to things coming into play like doubt. Right, we we can begin we can begin to doubt God's goodness. Sometimes that's uh, unwanted. It's coming up from a, a part of us that uh, misunderstands who God is. The question is, in a situation like that, are we going to sanction that doubt? Are we going to embrace it? Are we going to nurture it? Right. And our uh, in, in going back to the fall, right? That's what happened when Adam and Eve, you know, uh, were first tempted by the serpent. Right. The serpent went after doubt. He wanted to create doubt first. That was the, that was the, that was the breach, right? If he could get them doubting God's goodness, right? Then he could get them to, um, to, uh, question God's, you know, question God. And, and, and that's the first step in that whole chain of events that led to the original sin. So similarly, similarly, you know, we're, we're often going to get tempted around the area of doubt. And this isn't just purely inside of us either. This is, you know, because the same, Peter talks about our primary battles are on powers and principalities. St. Paul talks about powers and principalities, right? The bench, you know, we're, we're, we're involved. We're in the middle of the spiritual battle. Um, and so, uh, oh, we're not, we're not supposed to nurture it or sanction it. Like you said, right. But we're also, it's not healthy to suppress it. Like you're talking about letting it come to the surface for a purpose. For a purpose. Right. So I'm, I'm a big advocate of acknowledging the reality of the experiences we have and not forcing them into the unconscious. Because once you force something like doubt into the unconscious, it's, a, it's going to manifest itself through enactment. All right. What does that what does that mean? It means that because there's no tolerance for the reality to be accepted in the intellect and the will, it's going to be um, it's going to be acted out in some way. And that's really increases the likelihood that we may sin. Right. That we're going to have these motivations. It's sort of like if you, uh, the one example I use is that if you've got a if you've got a polar bear you know, in the house, right? That's a dangerous situation. And if you manage to somehow stuff the polar bear in the closet, close the door, right? And you can't see the polar bear anymore. You know, you say, ah, it's much safer. Well, I would argue that (laughs) not knowing where it is or forgetting about it or pretending it's not there actually sets you up to, Mm -hmm. to greater harm, right? And that's what I believe happens with the unconscious. So as a depth psychologist, I'm really about making the unconscious conscious so that we can bring that material under the direct purview of the intellect and the will, you know, so that we can begin to work with it in a deliberate way. But you know what? It takes some, it takes some acceptance. It takes some, it takes some real humility to be able to do that, to own these things that are inside of us. You know what's hitting me? I love that, by the way. And I agree with you totally. But as a systems thinker, I'm right. curious what happens to other people in our world when we express those doubts, because I think that other people may have some, or they may react or recoil, or you know, go on the offensive. Like if somebody you care about, like maybe it's a child or maybe it's a spouse, right. and they express some doubt, then we might go into hyper evangelization mode or something, right? To right, and that that might then cause that person perhaps to rebel or else to suppress or whatnot. So as, as so 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 it's really interesting because as many of you know, Dr. Jerry is a family systems uh, family systems therapist, right? He uses a lot of family systems thinking. I I actually think about 
internal family systems and how kind of systems operate inside, I think most of what we react about is not actually from the other person, but from what the other person activates in us, right? So that's what you're saying. If a person is expressing doubt, that often freaks out people whose own doubt is suppressed, right? Mm -hmm. Because what they're doing is this threatening thing because that doubt that's being expressed is sort of pulling for the doubt to be expressed in the person who's repressing it or suppressing it or denying it, right? So it creates this, you know, this, this, this angst or this, this intensity because we really don't want to be doubters, right? <laughs> so we want to, we want to get that out of our conscious awareness. We want to get that out of our, of, of our, of our consciousness because it's so uncomfortable to us. But if you burn the map, it doesn't, eliminate the territory right that doubt is still there right so right. so and if we if we suppress it if we deny it then we cannot bring it to christ like the father of the demoniac who said i do believe but then what does he say after that help my unbelief right, right. it's both right, right. The, 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 the 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 apostles they worshiped christ and they doubted him Right. Mm -hmm. It was both. Both yeah. of that's there. And I think a lot of times we get into this this or right. We either believe or we doubt. We either believe or we doubt. And it's not like that. We actually both can coexist. Yeah. You know, and it comes from different sectors of us. So one of the things that when I when I talk about accepting your doubts, that doesn't mean accommodating them, embracing them, endorsing them, nourishing them, nurturing them. No, it's actually to be able to uh, get ourselves into a position where those doubts can be resolved. I'm going to argue that we actually cannot resolve our own doubts, though, by ourselves. Why? Because what these doubts need is faith. And faith is an infused virtue. You can't, you can't actually increase faith like you could increase courage or increase humility, increase one of these human virtues or natural virtues. Because faith is an infused virtue, you've got to ask for it. You've got to, you've got to ask for it. And so if you well, don't know that you're struggling with doubt, it makes mm -hmm. it harder to ask for faith or it makes it less likely that you're going to ask for that faith. And if, God, if you do ask for that faith, God's going to give it to you. And what we see here, right? Jesus, in fact, promises the Holy Spirit. And in the fact, they were not ready yet until he tells them that the Holy Spirit, sometimes translated to as in, in, in using the word comforter, right? I think we talked about before that word for comfort. We've lost comfort. comforter right. just sounds like it's you're patting somebody on the back, but it actually <laughs> has the French word fog or the Latin right. word fortis that means strength strength that he's giving yes. you the holy spirit will give you strength for that that's right and but if we don't recognize our weakness if we don't recognize our neediness if we don't recognize how much we are um it desperately uh needing that mercy right and that and that and, and god to help us you know if we're busy trying to make it on our own right we're we're not going to ask yeah. and so it's extremely uncomfortable to deal with one's doubts, you know, I mean, that, that often is really hard for people, especially if their identity is really bound up in being, and being Catholic, right? So, but I'm going to argue that this whole business of faith on a psychological level is extremely messy. It's really messy. And we've got to accept that too. I think a lot of times people want very tidy 
psychological um, aspects to the faith. They want it to be, you know, ordered, but it's, it's, it's not, it's not like that again, because of uh, the disorder that came into the world with original sin and was exacerbated by the sins of others and our own personal sins. But you know, what I find really cool here or fascinating is that Jesus talks about the kingdom of God. Like he preached the kingdom of God, even to them at the end. And, and you'd think they'd heard all about it. Right. But they still still needed it. And, And I'm always fascinated by the concept of the kingdom of God. And I think it's multifaceted and we could explore it at length, but one thing is God's will. I think it's related is because it says in, you know, our father, um, your will be done. And, but that will is founded in God, which is love. So this uh, notion that the kingdom of God means to me, bringing about this, um, love really. And that part of that love is the love Jesus did on earth and the love Jesus gave to others on earth is the love he wants his church to continue to give to people on earth. And if the church embodies Christ, if the church really owns that same mission as Christ's, it will be a kingdom of God and it will be about love. And so what is love then, right? Because Jesus met all these people in their messiness. You were talking about all this messiness and all these people who were struggling and all these people who didn't have their act together. And those are the people Jesus beelined to. Yes, yes. And he, and he, he, his presence was, was not judgment. It was clarity and truth and, 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 and love. And that transformed their hearts and then they became, you know what I mean? They gave themselves to him. And, and that's what we're called to do. Well, we're called to be open to ourselves, to receive and to provide, right? Right, right. And the people that were most together, that had it most together in Jesus's day were the Pharisees, right? They were the ones that had the greatest level of compartmentalization, order, you know, everything, you know, in its place. And they were closed, right? Right. So Jesus was drawn to Mary Magdalene. Jesus was drawn to the tax collectors. Jesus was drawn to the outcasts of society because there was a receptivity there. You know, the eyes of the heart, you know, were looking for him in those in 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 those souls. And so um so yeah, I mean this is this is it. Now doubt has a protective function though, Dr. Jerry. This is like uh it can keep us it there when we doubt on a psychological level, right? So I'm gonna I'm gonna bring this, I'm gonna emphasize that this is the psychological level. When we doubt, it's often to protect us from something right or at least to to um there's a there's a belief at some level that it's protecting us from something right that that it's it's got a protective function now what does that mean right well have you ever seen people that are really indecisive about uh vocation for example right i've run across quite a few people through the years indecisive about vocation right really struggling with this or that and for everything on the plus side of this particular vocation there's a thing for the plus side of this vocation and they wind up caught right well Mm -hmm. oftentimes there is a an underlying danger or perceived danger that they're not acknowledging or or that they're not addressing directly. So they're they're going to be stuck until they can get below that conflict to whatever's driving it, right? So sometimes our doubts are protecting us in quotes, right? We get the big air quotes here. Um, protecting us because they're not really protecting us if those doubts are keeping us from God. But 
it often belies some kind of problem in our relationship with God, some lack of confidence that we have in God's love for us, or his love for us in particular, right? So there could be a problem with, I kind of think of love, going back to what you were saying, which I just love that. There's three elements to love, benevolence, competence, and constancy. I tend to think about those as three elements of love. Um, So we can be doubting God's benevolence for us at some core level. This isn't in our head, you know, where we've got the catechism, you know, straightened out and all of that. But at some sort of experiential level, there was some kind of thing that happened between us and God or something that happened between us and another authority figure at some point in our lives. That's just where we really struggle with. Is this really good for us? Could be a question of competence, right? Does God really all powerful? You know, because I've run across a number of clients who believe that God is weak, right? They've resolved the problem of evil by saying there wasn't anything God could do, right? That's at a kind of gut core level. So it could be a competence issue or a constancy issue, right? Does God really love me now after I had the affair? Does God really love me now after what I did to that other person, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So the doubt is- Or that he just doesn't care, right? He's just a zillion miles away, right? And he's got other things to do, bigger fish to fry than to work with my poor, wretched situation, right? Sometimes people really interpret the way that they're interacting with God as God being um, uncaring or distant. And that's really exacerbated if they've got that kind of thing in their history, right? If they've got some kind of neglect in their history or some kind of uh, negligence on the part of a caregiver or somewhere, it just that that gets worked on. And again, I actually believe that Satan tries to find those human those human um, weaknesses in us or those experiences with us to be able to capitalize on them to increase the sense of doubt you know, so that he can worm his way in, hopefully to the core of us, which he can't do unless we let him. But that's what happens. That's what happens when we surrender to the doubt, you know, and we um, and we either stay there or we conclude something that's erroneous or false about God. Yeah, it's fascinating to me, though, especially with this discussion that the end of this um, gospel reading, Jesus says, I am with you always until the end of the ages. So he's and actually he has, affirming that. He has to tell them that. Right. Mm-hmm. Because remember, they're doubting. Yeah, he has to tell them because our internal experience is an unreliable guide. Our subjectivity is an unreliable guide to whether God's near to us or far to us or whatever. Right. There have been great saints who have been extremely close to God, who felt decades of desolation, decades of not, you know, where they haven't felt close to God. That's different than faith. Right. So these these experiences or temptations around doubt are always opportunities for us to gain merit in the eyes of God by affirming the faith, you know, by really relying on, on this sort of internal conviction, this confidence in God. And I go back to how important it is to ask for that, because it's not something, again, faith is not something that we can just build up on our own. It's not something that we can just build up on our own because it's an infused virtue. It's one of those three theological virtues. So, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so, you know, and again, this is constant. And I think it's really important. I think it's really significant that they put it in gospel after gospel, all four of them, right? You go to Mark, the, the apostles don't believe Mary Magdalene. She comes back, she tells them, 
you know, this is in this is in Mark 16. She tells them, I have seen the Lord and they don't believe her. Right. right. Later on, Mark 16, you know, two the two the two apostles walking or two disciples walking the countryside, probably referring to the road to a mouse. The, the apostles don't believe them either. Right. right. Um, because this is such a mind blowing thing, this resurrection of the dead, even though, um, you know, even though um, even though our Lord foretold it, told them I will rise from the dead, predicted it. It just it just it's just so hard for them to get it. You know, and I think the this is the same struggle that we have. It is so hard for us on a human level to get it. And right. so there creates this potential for doubt. So, so we know we, we're not sanctioning or giving in to doubt, but we are um, allowing it to be present in order to work through, to figure out what it is, why it's there, what we need to process, work through, and we can allow God into that and, and maybe even others to help us rather than to hide it away where it's it going to wreak havoc on its own. So how do we, what, what can we do? Uh, as an exercise or whatnot in terms of figuring out the value of doubt and what to do with it. So that's, that's what we're going to do now. That's a great question because as you know, Dr. Jerry, I love to do these experiential exercises and we're actually going to do that right now. So if you would like to come with us on this particular part of the journey, I'm going to do a little guided reflection um, where you can actually create a space to look at any doubts that you may have. Um, and more than that, to look at what those doubts may be pointing to deeper within you. And that's to inform you when you take these things to God or as you take these things to God in the reflection or as you take them to your confessor or your spiritual director or if you're in therapy to your therapist, if you're working with somebody that understands something about, um, about your faith. So that's what we're actually going to do now. Right, so it's not going to it's not going to resolve all of your doubts, but it's going to take that first step of really understanding what's going on there, understanding at a deeper level, so that you can use your intellect and your will that God gave you to address it in a more effective way. Because right? Right. once if it's suppressed, you can't. So that's the deal. So I'm just going to invite people. Now, if you're driving, or if you're you know if you're in the cab and you're um you know if you're in the cab of your of your uh, of your semi or um, you know, if you're making dinner or whatever, this may not be the time to do it. But, um, and again, remember, this isn't therapy. We don't do any therapy in souls and hearts, uh, but this is a reflection which can help you really get pointed on into a direction that, um, that, that helps you to, 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 uh, to address this more effectively. So I'm just going to invite you to take a couple of deep breaths. We're going to downregulate here just a little bit. something that's helpful with as you take these deep breaths is to just say the names of Jesus and Mary and to ask at the outset that the eyes of your heart be opened. To understand whatever it is about doubt 
that our Lord wants you to understand more deeply. And I'm just going to encourage you to ask within yourself in this first step, if it's okay within you, right, to address any doubts you have, or if there's resistance there to acknowledging doubts that exist. So just asking yourself, is it okay for me to recognize any doubts I have? So that I can understand them and work through them. And see what parts of you say in response. You know, maybe there's a part that thinks it's bad for you to acknowledge doubts, or that's dangerous. That it wants to hide those doubts because it feels like those parts that that, that hiding those doubts are it's better to hide them. And you may need to do some work just around that. Bring that whole situation to Jesus. See what he says about that. Will he accept your doubts like he accepted the doubts of the apostles in Matthew 28? Does he love you with your doubts as he loved the apostles with their doubts? And if you do recognize that there's a doubt or doubts, what does that doubt look like? What form does it have? How do you see it? How do you experience that doubt? Can you accept that the doubt exists? To accept that that reality exists? And here's the really interesting part too, is that what does that doubt protect you from? What's behind the doubt? What does it distract you from, possibly, at a deeper level?
what does it say about God or how you see God? Just take a minute to wrap up anything there, you know, that seems like it may need some time or you can pause this podcast at this point and spend a little more time in it. Because Dr. Peter, I could sit with you for a long time, but we're getting quite close to the end. To the end. I know. (laughs) I know. We should have left a little more time. We need another 10 minutes. Yeah, we need another 10 minutes, but but you get the idea, right? We're we're going to try to look at things in new ways and and trust in God's mercy that if we bring these things to him as little children, that he's going to give us guidance, that he's going to help us. Let the little children come to me. And little children, their psychologies are messy. Little children's psychologies are messy. They don't have these tidy psychologies. So let's have that confidence in God's mercy and confidence in his love. Mm-hmm. So... So that's what I got. Done. I love it. Yeah. That's beautiful. Thank you. I think that really is helps in a way to bring those doubts in a non-threatening way. Right. Into the conscious right. mind and maybe even opening it up to allowing God to do some work with it, allowing the self to be okay with it and being able to, you know, and maybe meet, keep moving and not be stuck or, or held back or, 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 or trapped there. Yeah. Uh, with doubt so yeah beautiful and especially this season of the resurrection and, and the celebrating this the ascension and uh you know and what he has the prom the wonderful promises he has in store for all of us uh, that's right regardless that's right. of what may be happening necessarily today that may be difficult well again thank you i think that was brilliant uh dr peter i i feel like i grow every week as we do these shows. <laughs> well, i just love you. it <laughs> it is a, it is, it is a, such an honor to be with you, Dr. Jerry. And I am so appreciative of all of, all, of all of our people. The numbers keep growing by leaps and bounds. So thank you for coming on board uh, and being with us as well. We're, we're excited to be here for you. So. Yeah. Well, listen, we hope you will join us at soulsandhearts.com. Check out our website if you have not already. Uh, subscribe. Hey, like our show. <laughs> subscribe to our show. You know, that really helps us to grow um, and help get the word out by sharing our stuff to people you know who might uh, benefit. So uh, until next time, then, be still. Believe. Be loved. Be loved. Take good care. God bless you all. 